Hi, my name is Winifred Mock, and this is Wynn's Literary Corner. We are now at episode six, and this episode is going to be a little more technical because one of the things that students have to do in English usually is analyze an unseen text. Now, for some, this may seem a little daunting because the fact that it's unseen makes you feel like you can't prepare for it. Now, this is not true because the thing is with literature and stories in general is that they're all made of the same ingredients. And so what I'm going to do is pinpoint the sort of checklist that you need when you look at any text. The hard part is identifying what parts of this checklist is applicable to your text, okay? So what I'm going to do, this might be a little bit of a long podcast because I need to actually read you the text extract before we can analyze it together. So let's start with the checklist or what I like to call uh, the ingredients of story. One of the first things you should look at with any text is the technical side, the purpose, the intention, the author, who wrote it, when was it written, Uh, What kind of text type is it? Because once you identify the text type, you can easily identify the purpose and intention, you see. A lot of you, if you're doing the IB, the difference between literature level and literature and language is that literature and language will have more nonfiction texts, whereas literature will have uh, more sort of literary or poetry texts. And obviously the approach you have with poetry and prose is slightly different, but as I mentioned, the ingredients are the same. So aside from author purpose intention and text type, we have audience and reader response. Don't forget, just like I mentioned in the previous podcast with plays, there's no purpose to the text if no one reads it or if there's no purpose to a play if no one watches it. So How are you reacting to this? Or who is the intended audience? You also have the structure of genre. Now, I also talked about genre briefly in the episode about uh, form and content. So if you know that the genre is, say, if you get a comic strip, you know that there's going to be humor in it, possibly satire. Okay, then we go on to the actual structure. Can you comment on the structure? If it's a poem, how many stanzas? Is it regular, irregular? Uh, What about the form? And if it's prose, can you identify the moments in the text where it either changes? So maybe the first paragraph is different to the second paragraph. How? Are we looking at the tone? Are we looking at the content? Are we looking at the narrative? If there's dialogue in the text, is it throughout? Or can you identify the climax? Can you identify the key beats of the piece? That's the most important in terms of structure for prose, the beats. What's happening? What is established? What changes? Is there a climax? How does it end? Of course, it's only an extract, but you still need to... uh, The ending of the extract is probably still significant. What about style or technique or language? With language, I'm going to talk a little bit more in terms of literary devices later, but language in terms of is it formal, is it informal, let's look at the actual technical structure of the language, the grammar, the syntax, the, you know, is it long sentences, short sentences, what's the effect of that? Then we go into the actual content. 
are there key themes? Now, themes are important because you can actually structure your plan or essay just by using the themes if that's relevant. What about the issues? Issues and themes kind of overlap, but the issues might be more of like a question or a sort of subheading that you want to structure your essay with. What about setting? How is the setting created? Where are we? Now, setting can mean many things, especially uh, with plays. Setting, I would say there are three levels. First is the setting in terms of context. Where are we? When are we? For example, the setting of a doll's house is in Norway and uh, written in the late 1800s. Okay. Uh, the second level of setting is uh, where are we? It's set in the living room in their house. And the third level for plays especially is the actual set. How is the set constructed and how is the space of the set used? Of course, all stories have characters and all stories have a narrative. So we're talking who and what. Now the narrator can be a character, but the narrator can also be a third person. So uh, you might want to link that depending on your text. With the narrative, are there any key plot points? That's where we can mention the climax or the beats if it's relevant. Um, what about the point of view? If it's not a narrator, uh, if it's, say, a nonfiction text, then you want to refer to the voice or the point of view as the speaker. Okay, moving on to a little bit more about language. Of course, we've got literary devices, alliteration, sibilance, imagery, symbolism, description, etc. Uh, all those literary devices you learn in class. What about the senses? One thing that students often neglect is not only are we looking at the visual, the imagery, but the senses in terms of sounds, in terms of smells, in terms of taste even. Sometimes your text might not have this, but if it does have it, draw attention to it. What about the sounds? We talked about sounds in a previous podcast. Uh, the atmosphere, how does that build the atmosphere or the mood? All of these things. How does it affect the emotion of the character or the narrator? What about the tone? What are the connotations of all of these things? Does it create irony? Does it create humor? How are you affected by the text? Finally, just to end this checklist, you might find that your analysis isn't deep enough. That's probably because you're only using two points, as in you're giving me an example and you're telling me what it is. So, oh, here is um, a description and it's imagery. Okay, but what's the effect? How is it being used? How is this image being created or constructed for us? So you need a dynamic of three. Okay, so how can we apply this list of literary ingredients to a text? Okay, so now I'm going to read you a, an extract. Uh, this is actually from a past paper, so if you can find it, it's November 2008, and it's a standard-level paper. This extract is adapted from Doris Lessing's memoir, Going Home. Now, I talked about context in the first episode. If you don't know who Doris Lessing is, it's no big deal. But if you have heard of her, maybe you've read one of her books. I've read The Fifth Child, which is quite a sad but very well-written story. She was also awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 2007. So 
I will read you the extract now, but I won't go into too much detail in terms of analysis. I will, however, tell you what points on the checklist I will apply to this text, okay? So, over the plains of Ethiopia, the sun rose as I had not seen it in seven years. A big, cool, empty sky flushed a little above a rim of dark mountains. The red deepened and pulsed, radiating streaks of fire. There hung the sun, like a shining spider's egg or a white pearl just below the rim of the mountains. Suddenly, the sun swelled, turned red, roared over the horizon, and drove up the sky like a train engine. I knew that below in the swelling heat, the birds were an orchestra in the trees about the villages of mud huts. How the long grass was straightening while dewdrops dwindled and dried. How the people were moving out into the fields about the business of herding and hoeing. Here is where the sun regulates living in a twelve-hour cycle. Here the sun is a creature of the same stuff as us. Powerful and angry, it is no mere dispenser of pale candle power. When I was first in England, I was disturbed all the time, because the sun went down at four in the middle of an active afternoon, filling a cold, damp, remote sky with sadness. Or at eleven in the morning, instead of blazing directly on the land, a hand span from the center, the sun would appear on a slant and in the wrong place, and at eight o'clock. It is a swollen, misshapen, watery ghost of a thing peering behind chimney pots. The sun in England should be feminine. On that morning over Africa, I learned that I had turned myself inwards. I felt that I had never left at all. This was my air, my landscape, and above all, my sun. Okay, so if you don't know anything about Doris Lessing, which I actually knew her books, but I didn't know that um, she had grown up in Africa, we can obviously see that she did because this is a memoir called Going Home, written in 1957. And there's a good contrast between Africa and England. Now, if you've been to Africa, there is a sense of the land, how the land and the sun interact. The sky feels a lot more closer to the land. It feels vast, this expanse, and you really do feel the warmth of the sun on the land as well. Uh, I personally have been to Zimbabwe. A lot of my friends have been to Johannesburg, South Africa, and the difference in that atmosphere is really encapsulated in this, I feel. In contrast with England, where, especially in winter, you get shorter days. Even if the sun's out, you don't really feel the rays. And even as one of my friends, uh, Shaq, mentioned in a previous podcast on uh, Project FIA Goes PC, his uncle from Jamaica still feels really cold, even in the height of summer in England. It's very different. Okay, so you can hear just from the extract, there's tons of imagery, there's tons of metaphor, uh, there's colors, there's um, a concept of time, there's contrast, there's the lists of description. So, okay, firstly, I look at the narrator. So the speaker in this being Doris Lessing, uh, what's her intention, purpose in regard to the text type as a memoir, uh, it's written in the first person. Uh, we can probably add a few extra things in, such as tone, but it isn't a key 
point, which is why I would attribute it into the first section in my introduction, talking about the narrator. Uh, the second part is one of the key areas, which is setting. You can talk about things like the comparison of sky, a big, cool, empty sky versus a cold, damp, remote sky. Okay. We've got lots of color imagery here. We've got the red deepened and pulsed radiating streaks of fire. So we've got fire imagery. We've got, uh, in contrast, the description of the sun like a shining spider's egg, simile, or a white pearl. So there's this kind of roundness or fullness. The spider's egg could reflect the sense of potential of life. Here we have the sun swelled, turned red, roared over the horizon, lots of powerful, colorful imagery, whereas in England we don't have that same force. We also have sounds here. The birds were an orchestra in the trees, so don't forget to talk about sensory imagery. And what is the effect of that? Now finally, the key area that we really need to focus on is the sun. We've got so much personification of the sun and the contrast of verbs and adjectives. So where in Ethiopia, we have the sun swelled and roared and is described as powerful and angry. In England, it's described that it should be feminine. We have it described as on a slant in the wrong place. And instead of all these sensory descriptions, we have references to actual time. The sun went down at four in the middle of the afternoon. At 11 in the morning, it's not blazing down. At eight o'clock, it's peering behind chimney pots. This personification is a shy character. And the sense of time. I talked about time in terms of England, but in contrast in Ethiopia, the sun regulates living in a 12-hour cycle. We have long days as opposed to in England, especially in the winter, where days are very short. In Project FIA Goes PC, Danny talks about how the sun goes down you know, at 3 p.m. in England, and we have these really long nights and really short days. I think that was in the Halloween episode when we're talking about the shift in the season. In England, you have four seasons, whereas in places like Africa or in the tropics, it's, I mean, even in Hong Kong here, we only really have two seasons, I would say, sort of the uh, cold, dry season and then the hot season. And I suppose there's a rainy season, but it's not really spring, summer, autumn, winter, you know, where it's very specifically defined in places like England. Okay, so just to conclude, for this particular extract, I would anchor my analysis on narrator, setting, and the sun as a theme or a character, if you wish. Uh, usually I would say minimum three key areas, uh, but you can go up to five. If you have more than six, you probably can combine some of your points. So if in doubt, Go to the checklist and decide for yourself what are the key areas you can focus on and how you can combine other areas to create that analysis for your text. My name is Winifred Mock, and this is Wynn's Literary Corner. Hope you enjoyed this podcast, and happy reading. <laughs>